Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you're a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, growing abundantly, and if you want to improve your overall life. My name is Jay Phantom and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the story box. Today, I am delighted to welcome one of the first ever guests that is a Navy SEAL on the story box today who has one heck of a story that I think you guys are going to love. Uh, his name is Rich Davini. Now, for those of you that don't know who he is, he's quite new to the, uh, I guess you could use the term social media or becoming in the limelight, but for over 20 years, uh, Rich has been part of the Navy SEALs. Uh, he has served there and he's quite experienced at it. He was an officer and he completed more than 13 overseas deployments, 11 of which were to Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, through his career, he has achieved multiple leadership positions to including commanding officer of the Navy SEAL Command. He also was part of, uh, I can't really talk about, otherwise I'd probably be shot, but anyway, uh, one of the most secretive uh, parts of the Navy SEALs, which is pretty damn cool. Since his retirement in early 2017, Rich has worked as a speaker, facilitator, and consultant with the Chapman and Co. Leadership Institute and someone that you guys might all know, Simon Sinek, Inc. And he's got a book out called The Attributes. Now, this is a very interesting conversation because uh, I was fascinated by uh, his, his line of thought when it comes to these attributes in our life. We've all got them. What does that really mean? There's, there's a certain number of attributes which you're going to learn about uh, very, very soon. But if you are interested in mastering your company's attributes or your own personal ones, this is definitely the conversation you need to listen to. Um, during Rich's time as the officer in charge of training for specialized command, Rich reworked the selection and assessment program to identify key attributes rather than just skills. So we talk about that a little bit in this conversation, the difference between the two. This allowed him and his uh, uh, cadre to more effectively and more constructively explain the success and failure of candidates. Uh, more importantly, it allowed them to put together the highest performing team possible. Additionally, he spearheaded the creation of the directorate uh, that fused physical, mental, and emotional disciplines together. He led his small team to create the first ever mind gym that helped special operators train their brains to perform faster, longer, and better in all environments, especially high-stress ones. Using principles of this program, Rich has been able to work with more than 5,000 businesses, athletic, and military leaders to teach leadership and optimal performance, which we do get into 
uh, during this conversation. And some people that you guys might know, such as Simon Sinek has said, so much of what I know about trust, I learned from Rich Davini. I'm so glad he wrote the Attributes book. It's the go-to reference for anyone looking to improve the quality of trust and performance across their team. And Charles Duhigg, who is the um, New York Times bestselling author of The Power of Habit, says, mastering skills on its own doesn't deliver success. Understanding how to cultivate your, your attributes is the key. So uh, Rich has a lot of high praise, but one thing that I, I really loved about Rich is the fact that he's so down to earth and so personal and he wasn't that intense and I kind of expected him to be super intense, but he was so present with the conversation and you can really see that in the in the actual video and I believe you can hear it too, but this was a fascinating deep dive into the attributes, what it what it means for our lives, how we can create more of them, how we can use them to benefit our life Peak performance versus optimal performance, those two differences is a, yeah, I can't speak highly enough of this conversation, but Rich has been on some of my favorite podcasts, uh, shows such as Lewis Howes, you've got Rich Roll and uh, Tom Billius too. So I have no doubt that this this man is um, going to leave you with uh, all the keys necessary to improve your life. So with that being said, my friends, if you do get something from this, please share it around to your friends and your family. Uh, if you do uh, want to leave a rating and review, please do that as well on Apple Podcasts. goes a long way in continuing to build the Storybox community. Uh, don't forget, before you go, make sure to subscribe. Uh, that goes another uh, feat into growing the community as well. So really appreciate you guys. Hope you get something from it again. But I'm going to be quiet now because you know what time it is. It is time to dive. Nah, sorry. We're not going to dive. We're going to walk again. We're going to walk into this story box today and listen to the wisdom, the story, and the incredible, and I mean incredible wisdom of none other than Rich Davini. Oh, thank you, Jay. It's such a pleasure to be here. So thanks for having me. No, the pleasure is all mine, man. And, and like I just read out, we've had... Angie Huberman and Stephen Codler, who you worked very closely with, two amazing human beings, bright minds. And I think you, I'm really, really looking forward to diving into your backstory because you've got some work here that is pretty, pretty damn incredible uh, and, and very, a lot to actually unpack. So um, before we do all that, though, I normally start off all my conversations with one particular question, which is what does success look like? for you? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. Uh, and, and I'll just, uh, there are so many different answers to that, but I say one of the most important things for me is much like the people you mentioned, um, to try to surround myself with people who I think are better than me. Um, because gosh, it just helps, it helps you up your game and it helps you learn. And I just, I get, I get charged up when I'm around people who are who I think are more are smarter or more interesting or, or, and, and I know that it doesn't, I don't, I don't say that in a, in a way that, that I, I I'm self deprecating. It's really just, Hey, they have so much to teach me. I have so much to learn. And, and I really felt that way, even as an Navy seal, I looked around and said, man, I'm, I'm surrounded by, you know, superheroes, you know, and, um, and what's funny is all the guys felt the same way. It was almost a, a group of guys who just wanted to do that. So success for me is, is, 
is learning and growing and uh, and exploring and 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 you know kind of stepping out to your edges and um, yeah and and kind of finding and exploring your potential. We never reach potential. Potential is always in front of us, right? So so it's just exploring it. You know, just keep on walking to those edges. Speaking about the people that you associate with that have sort of you you want to make better for you, I'm curious who has given you uh, the biggest challenge or the biggest push in your life? Uh, I mean, my, my family, uh, for one growing up, but, you know, but also my wife, I mean, my wife has, we've been married for 20 years and she, she is someone who has always had my back. Uh, She's, she's always been someone who I look up to in terms of aspiring to be like her, um, in the way she, I've learned so much from her just in the way she empathizes with people. And, and, and she really, uh, showed me that there's, you can learn something from every human being. I mean, there's value and she, she's just so good with people. So, uh, so she's taught me that so much that way. And then, and then, yeah, you can't, I could not have done anything that I've done without her in my corner. You know, you know, I, I always say she's, she's, and I say it in the beginning of the book, but she's always been my belay. She's always been on my belay, you know, as I, as I've leaned out over my edges, she's been on belay. Right. And, um, and just encouraging me and, and there, uh, to, to support. So. How did you meet your wife? So we met in Hawaii. I, my first duty station um, uh, as a SEAL was Hawaii. And um, and what's interesting is I, I, was in, I was in Hawaii for three years. I met her five days before I moved off of the island to Virginia, <laughs> which uh, we had our date five days before that. And then um, um, and then so our relationship for those first few months, because she was still in Hawaii, I was in Virginia, which is basically from a United States standpoint, the farthest you can get, right? Mm. our relationship was all phone calls and letters. We would write letters to each other. And, um, and that was like for two months, three months almost before she came and visited. And then we, you know, she visited several times and yeah, it was, it was only, it it only took about six months for me to, you know, get on a plane and surprise her. I showed up at her doorstep in Hawaii and asked her to marry me. And, and, you know, 20 years later, here we are. So. So was that hard to keep up communication like long distance via letters and all that sort of stuff? Well, it, you know, I think the hardest thing is the time time change. We're so fortunate in today's technological um, society, and, and this was back in the early two thousand, right? So we didn't really have Skype and Zoom and, and video conferencing like we have today. But you know, we, we were on the phone, and then I think the letters really felt it felt traditional in some ways. So um, so both of us enjoyed that part, um, and you know, obviously there are emails too, which are kind of just letters, but you know, digitally. Mm. Um, so I think it was, I think it was, it was fun and novel and, you know, obviously it worked for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> it obviously did, but yeah. I'm curious about, so you wanted to be a Navy SEAL. My question to you is what was her reaction to finding out that you were a Navy SEAL and how did you guys manage that? Have you, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, The Abyss. Have you seen the movie, The Abyss by James Cameron? No. Okay. Well, it's a pretty good movie, but it's an old one. It's like in the 90s. In the movie The Abyss, it's uh, they go there. It's about being underwater, and there's a bunch of Navy SEALs in that movie, and they all go nuts. They they all go crazy. They're, they're like the bad guys of the movie. And when I told her I was a SEAL, that her only experience of SEALs was that movie. That's all she knew about Navy SEALs. So she didn't <laughs> know much at all. Um, and um, and so. So, but then she met, she, she, you know, we started dating and she met my friends and she learned more about the community. 
And what's interesting is it was, it was July. I proposed to her in June, um, 2001. And, um, we got married in July, 2001, just really fast. And when I proposed to her, I said, um, you know, the, the seal, this is the seal teams. We've, we've seen it. You've met my friends. I, there's deployment cycles. It's usually pretty predictable, but I'll be going away and this and that. And she's like, yeah, okay, let's do this. Right. And then three months later, nine 11 hit and, um, and the world changed and we got thrust into the next decade plus of war. And, um, and, you know, we just went through it together, but you know, when you find the right person, I think you, you, you have to communicate, you have to, you have to, you have to be, you know, kind of partnered in a way that allowed me to do what I was doing overseas, her to do what she was doing, you know, at home. And, um, and it worked. And I'm not saying there were hard times because there always are, but, uh, but communication and love and transparency and, um, honesty and dedication and loyalty and all those things, uh, you know, that they are the, the things that get you through. And, oh, by the way, recognize in a relationship, uh, we all change as human beings, right? So what are the funny, you know, you always hear, yeah, you hear mostly on TV is like people are getting divorced. Well, you're not the same person I married, you know, 10 years ago. It's like, well, no, no kidding. You know, mm. I'm not the same person I was when I was in my early 20s or in my 30s. We all change. And, and I think marriage, a great partnership is an understanding that you're going to change as you grow and as you mature and as you grow older and you embrace that change and you love those changes about each other. Cause she's not the same person she was. I'm not the same, same person I was. Mm. was. Uh, and I think that, that type of evolution and adaptability is necessary as you, as you have a long relationship. Mm. How did you know that she was in fact the one for you? Was it because she, re- she sh- was showing all these signs that you were talking about just recently? What's funny? Yeah, it's interesting. I have a kind of crazy story about that. I had had probably a few years prior to that um, taken out a, a small notepad and written down what I thought my perfect partner was, you know. And I I just wrote down everything I could think of. And what interesting enough, it was it was largely non physical, right? It wasn't like you know has to be blonde hair or whatever, you know. It was largely non-physical and I wrote down that list and, and, um, and I just wrote it down and I put it away. Cause I'm really big about setting goals. And when you set a goal, you write things down. Um, cause it kind of solidifies things in your brain. And I had put it away. I put it aside. And I remember our first date and, um, and we were just having such a wonderful date and conversation. And I remember thinking about that list and I was like, oh my gosh, I mean, so, these things are starting to check off. Right. And I think it was, it was, um, a few days later when I was actually on the airplane flying away, uh, feeling depressed, <laughs> <laughs> and I said to myself, I wonder, I wonder that might, I think I just met the girl I'm going to, I'm going to marry, you know, and I wasn't sure, you know, I wasn't like a, a moment you see in the movies, but, but I was almost sure it, it felt, it felt like that. So, so, um, you know, our, our relationship subsequently developed and it, it became pretty good. And, um, and yeah, we, we threw in our lot together and it worked out. So have you ever questioned your decision to become a SEAL? No, I'm no, because I, I'm, um, I'm not someone who, um, who believes too much in questioning that type of stuff. I think, uh, I, I really, I'm a believer in the fact that we, we, we pick a path and there's no, to, to try to, to try to look back and wonder about another path is a waste of time, um, because it's impossible to do. And so, uh, so no, I don't think about that. And I, and I, and I really, I was able to recognize, um, the, what, what being a seal allowed me to explore and express in myself. Uh, 
And um, yeah, it's good. I mean, you know, certainly there's highs and lows of the of any decision of any life path you choose, but but it's never been such that that you recognize. I you know, it's I have a you know when you learn how to patrol. Here's a little anecdote: when you learn how to patrol in the SEAL teams, and patrolling is just you're you're in file going going somewhere, you know, and you're 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 you have security going both ways. You have a point man who's leading you out, and you have a rear security who's supposed to be checking your your back for threat, right? When you train to be the rear security, because you train in all the positions, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to look back once in a while. So you can A, check for threats, but also you, so you can see the trail from the opposite direction. Because all of us know when you're going one direction, the trail and the, the road looks different yeah. than when you're going the back direction. So the idea is if you have to turn around and lead the guys out, <laughs> you would know what it looks like. So you have to turn around once in a while. When you turn around, though, you have to stop, right? You stop walking and they will they will kick your ass if you try to walk backwards because like, hey, if you try walking backwards, you're going to fall down. You're going to trip on something. Your weapon's going to go off, whatever. Don't walk backwards. Stop, turn around, look, turn around and start walking. And it's a perfect analogy for me for life. And that is it's always good to look back once in a while because you because you can learn your lessons, but you can't move forward while looking back because if you do, you'll trip up, right? You'll trip up. You'll, your gun will go off. Something bad will happen. So stop once in a while, look back, make it brief, learn your lessons. But if you want to move forward, you have to look forward. You have to you have to walk forward while you're you have to look forward while you're walking. Mm, I love that analogy. Why did you decide to choose the path of a seal in the first place? What was the, the decision, the deciding factor? Yeah, for me, it was ultimately I wanted to see if I could do it. Um, I grew up wanting to be a Navy pilot. My, I have a twin brother and he and I both wanted to be Navy pilots. My dad was a private pilot, so we'd fly with him every weekend. And we figured, man, you know, landing jets on ships, man, that, that's that's pretty darn cool. And that was before Top Gun came out, right? We, this, we, we decided this, but this, we decided this before Top Gun came out. Um, Top Gun solidified it, certainly, but you know, but it was before that. That's an important so, point that, to raise, people. A, yeah, it, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. We weren't. Yeah, it wasn't just Top Gun. Um, anyway, that was where that was where we focused, and so we both went to college, uh, joined ROTC, Navy ROTC, and the plan was to be pilots. It was actually the first Gulf War in the '90s, and I had read, I first learned about the SEALs and what they were and what they did, and I was like, man, these guys, they do everything. They're in the snow, they're in the sea, they're in the uh, jungle, they're in the desert, and I loved the fact that they were from the water, like they were, because I loved the water, I loved being underwater, I loved that whole idea. And I said to myself, you know, I never wanted to be, I knew I could be a pilot. I never, I never wanted to be, be a pilot and wonder if I could be a SEAL. So I decided to go that way and, um, and yeah, and went for it. And fortunately it worked out. Was there ever a moment in SEAL training? Cause I understand like, if you hear about buds and like the rigorous training that SEALs actually go to go through to actually become a SEAL in the first place, was there ever a moment for you that you wanted to ring the bell and just quit? Yeah, the the answer is no. Not that I can remember, um, but I'm I'm pretty sure that there was the, that, that I can be definitive in that answer because um, it's quite often when you're in that type of uh, challenge, when you're in that much challenge. Okay, uh, even letting that seed into your into your head is dangerous. It'll take root too fast. And there's a saying when you go through hell, we can, you know, so BUDS is basic underwater demolition slash SEAL training. That, that's the program that guys go through to become SEALs. That's six months long. Well, the fifth week of BUDS is hell week. That's infamous kind of week where you start on Sunday and you go until that following Friday and you sleep for maybe two hours the whole the whole week. And, and you're running and you're freezing, you're doing all this stuff. Um, you're just, you're, I mean, they crush you. It's where you get your most quitters. The most people quit during hell week. And there's a saying, um, kind of a, a known saying, 
in uh, when you go through hell week is that if you think about Friday on Monday, you're, you're never going to make it. Okay. Because you're, it, it just seems too big. If you start thinking about, and, and, and the guys who get it into their heads, okay. It, the guys who let quitting seep in, typically it just snowballs too fast. So, uh, so no, I never thought about it. I can't remember thinking about it. I don't think I did because those are, those are seedlings that you don't, you don't want to let in. Is that one of the reasons why some people quit while others don't? Because I'm always curious about this. You've got people that actually make it through. They've got the mindset of resilience. They, they can make it through that. Like they're at that tipping point and you've got those other people that they're at the same level and some don't actually follow through. They just quit and, and give up. I'm curious, why is that the case for some people and for not, not for others? Yeah. Well, you ask a question that the SEAL community has been trying to figure out for the last 60 years, if not more. Um, so there's no one answer. And I'm not sure if, if anybody's figured out the answer. I know that there's multiple answers. OK, um, some people. Yeah, it's because they get that idea in their head. Some people it's because they didn't have a purpose. Their purpose wasn't strong enough. Right. The reasons why they were there weren't strong enough or not strong enough for them to kind of embody it. Um, some people get lost in their in their pain. They can't they can't they can't compartmentalize enough to just focus in the moment and they begin to take on the totality of the, of the, of the challenge. And that's a, that's important um, thing you shouldn't do and can't do. Um, and so I think there's multiple reasons why, uh, you know, guys don't make it through. It comes down in my mind to this idea of attributes. You know, there's a specific set of attributes required to be a Navy SEAL. Um, and, um, and if you have them, you make it through training. If you don't, if you don't have enough of them, uh, you don't make it through training. And, um, and now what that specific list is, I could give some thoughts. I'm, I'm sure the SEAL training community has some thoughts, uh, but I think it comes down to these innate qualities. So you've got this book out. So I want to sort of shift the conversation to this because it's very fascinating. You've got a new book out called The Attributes, 25 Hidden Drivers of Optimal Performance. Um, what I'm curious about is why specifically are these attributes hidden? And my second question is, are these attributes just for men or are they also for women too? They carry out. Right. Well, the, yeah, I'll, 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 ask, I'll answer the second question first. And the, the, second, the second answer is there for human beings. doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. These attributes are human. They're not, uh, they're not gender specific. Um, here's what I realized. Um, the, there's a difference between skills and attributes. And I realized this while I was running training for a, for a specialized SEAL command. It wasn't the basic training, but, um, but we were trying to articulate why guys weren't making it through. Skills are um, not inherent to our nature. Okay. We're not born with the ability to throw a ball or ride a bike or in the SEAL case, shoot a gun. Okay. We, we're, we're taught how to do those things. We train to do them. Okay. They also direct our behavior in known environments and situations. Here's how and when to throw a ball or ride a bike or shoot a gun because they're specific. And because they're kind of, um, you know, uh, able to be described kind of specifically, they're very easy to see, assess, measure, and test. You can see how well anybody does any one of those things. The problem with skills is they don't tell us how we're going to operate when the challenge, when the environment becomes uncertain and unknown and challenging. Okay. Um, because it's very difficult, if not impossible to apply a known skill to an unknown environment. This is where we begin to lean on attributes. Attributes are innate. They're there. We're everybody. We're all born with the ability or we're all born with levels of 
patience, adaptability, um, you know, self-efficacy. You, they certainly develop over time, and environment helps. But but you can see you can see levels of those things in small children. Okay, they also inform our behavior rather than dictate it. Okay, they my son's levels of resilience and perseverance, for example, informed the way he showed up when he was learning how to ride his bike, and he was falling off a dozen times doing so. Okay. Because they're hidden in the background, because you can't see them as as uh, as visibly, um, they are very difficult to assess, measure, and test. Okay, you can't sit across from an from a from an interviewee at a hiring process and assess how adaptable they are or how resilient they are. It's just hard. Environments of challenge, stress, and uncertainty are what make attributes come to the fore. It's what makes them so visible. When you're looking for how people are going to perform or how teams are going to perform in those environments of challenge, when things go south and sideways, you have to look at attributes. I joke that, you know, in Bud's training, you spend hundreds of hours running around with heavy boats on your heads. You spend hundreds of hours uh, exercising with 300 pound telephone poles and running around with those things and freezing in the surf zone. Over the course of my career, I did hundreds of combat missions overseas, and I did thousands of training evolutions. Never on one of them did I carry a boat on my head or a telephone pole on my shoulder. Never on one, okay? So what they were doing to us in SEAL training, they weren't training us with the skills to be Navy SEALs, okay? And then in those moments, they were putting us in environments to see if we had what it took to be a Navy SEAL, if we could do the job. Not if They weren't training us how, how to do the job. They were seeing if we could do the job. And that's a very distinctive difference. Because SEALs are designed and spectral operators are designed, the job is to be thrown into environments of uncertainty and challenge and to perform. That's the job, okay? Certainly, you get some skills to be able to apply to that, those situations when needed, but that's really what they're testing, and that's the difference between attributes and skills. Hmm. So speaking about these hidden attributes, is there one that's more important than the other? The, uh, no. So so the way the way I would describe it is we all have – and I talk about 25 in the book. Yeah. There are more than 25, okay? But I talk about, kind of, I kind of break it down to the ones for, that I kind of experience as optimal performing ones. We all have all of the attributes. Um, the difference in each one of us are the levels to which we have each. So, for example, if 10 is high and one is low, for adaptability, I might be a level eight on adaptability, which means when the environment changes around me without my control, it's fairly easy for me to go with the flow and adapt okay someone else might be a level three which means when the environment changes around them without their control um it's hard for them it's difficult for them to adapt uh it's a challenge nothing wrong with that so there's no judgment to that it's like it'd be, it'd be like me judging my hair color it's ridiculous okay we all show up with our own levels okay where you begin to place value on attributes is when you start talking about the attributes for for, for specific jobs or teams or organizations, right? So, so again, in other words, again, the attribute list required to be an ABC is going to look different than the attribute list required to be a nurse or a teacher or a salesperson. That's when the values start to matter. And this is where I believe, you know, we're all human, okay, which is important for us to remember, especially now, we're all human. And just like, just like cars, all of us are automobiles. Um, but some of us are Jeeps and some of us are Ferraris and some of us are SUVs, right? And there's no judgment on that because the Jeep can do things the Ferrari can't do and the Ferrari can do things the Jeep can't do. The key, I think, for us is to lift our hood and figure out what we are, okay? Because we may be, in fact, a Jeep trying to run on a Ferrari track or a Ferrari trying to run on a Jeep track. And again, if that's the case, if that's what you want to do, great. But at least now I know. I know why I'm going a little bit slower than the other people because I'm a Jeep running on a Ferrari track. So I think the key to performance, the key to, to unlocking and, and exploring our potential is 
first understanding what engine we are and understanding our levels of attributes is one of the ways we can start doing that. So I'm curious about this line of thought because we're born with all these attributes. And does that mean that we can still choose like a different career path? Like we have that option or is it like this pre destined, okay, we're going to go down this path because we have these attributes that are, have already been innate within us. Like we can't learn yeah. new skills to be this, go down this career path, for example. Yeah, no, I, I, so attributes can be developed. So in other words, if you're low on adaptability, you can develop your adaptability. All right. You just can't do it the same way you can a skill. So a quick kind of back of the envelope test to see whether or not it's an attribute or a skill because they get conflated all the time is to ask yourself, is this something that I can teach or it can be taught? Okay. Um, if the answer is yes, it's probably a skill. All right. If the answer is no, it's probably an attribute. So for example, Jay, you could say, Hey, Rich, can you teach me how to shoot a gun and hit a bullseye? And I say, yes, I'll take you to the range. I could teach you how to do that within a couple hours. All right. That's a skill. Or you say, Hey, Rich, I, I want to be more patient. Um, can you teach me patience? And I would say, no, I can't teach you patience. I can't sit down and give you a class on patience. If you want to develop an attribute, it has to be self-motivated, self-directed, and it takes uh, that it takes your willingness to step into discomfort and uncertainty so that you may test and to develop that attribute. So you would then have to say, okay, I'm going to deliberately place myself into environments that test my patience so I can develop this. So I would never I would never presume to say people can't do what they want to do. I will say, though, that it's really beneficial from a success standpoint and really kind of a, a, you know, kind of a limitless standpoint to understand where our strengths and our weaknesses lie, because to try to pick lanes that that honor and respect those really can be very beneficial. Listen, I'm never going to be a professional athlete. I don't have what it takes to do professional athletics. That's great. I didn't choose that pathway. <laughs> okay. I was a pretty good Navy SEAL and that worked out well. All right. So, uh, so I was fortunate enough to choose a pathway that was complementary to my attributes. Someone can certainly choose pathways that may not be as complementary. They just have to know it's going to take work to develop those. Mm. So speaking about, I want to go back to the SEAL part for a moment and ask you, why did you decide to leave? And then the second question is, how did you come to know all this stuff you mentioned earlier that it was uh, part of being in the seals. So what is the story behind that? Like, was it just an instantaneous, oh, I know this stuff, or was it like this gradual, okay, I'm figuring this out along the way? <laughs> yeah, nothing's ever instantaneous, I don't think, um, uh, or at least uh, at least my epiphanies aren't. Um, uh, yeah, we wish. Uh, so, so yeah, I was running training for a very selective, very, very specialized SEAL command. And at this command in particular, we were, we, we would take experienced guys from other commands and put them through our own selection process. So what that meant was that these guys on paper were all rock stars mm. and they were coming to our command to go through our selection. We're still getting about a 50% attrition rate. And it was it was tough for us and frustrating for us because we weren't able to effectively articulate why guys weren't making it through. We were leaning on things like, well, they couldn't shoot very well or couldn't do this. Very. It was all skills based. And that didn't make sense because all these guys had the skills. They'd all done this stuff before. And this is when I started to really have to say, OK, there's a distinguishing factor here. What are we actually looking for? That's when I kind of went back to the basic SEAL training and said, we're not basic SEAL training is not about seeing if someone has the skills to be a Navy SEAL. Basic SEAL training is about seeing if someone has the attributes to be a Navy SEAL. And our, our selection process was no different. So that's really why I began to explore it. 
um, when I got out. And I mean, I spent almost 21 years in the team. So I got out, you know, when I say retired, I mean, I, 20 years is a, a career and I was ready to get out anyway. Um, but I began talking about leadership and high performing teams and and businesses would consistently come up and, and ask me and talk to me about uh, the teams they were putting together, most specifically kind of these dream teams. Hey, we're putting together dream teams, best salesperson, top graduates, best graphics designer, all these rock stars. Um, and we're finding a lot of times when 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 things happen, when bad things happen, things go south or unpredictably or uncertain uncertainty fall in. The teams become toxic. Um, what's going on? And I, I usually the answer was usually pretty simple for me. I said it's because you're selecting the wrong things. You're selecting based on skills. You're not selecting based on attributes. If you want to select and build dream teams that actually are in fact high performing teams, which means they perform not only when things are going great but also when things are going bad, you need to look at attributes because that's what's going to get teams and people through. Where does a person's character fit into the attributes? I've always been curious about this. Yeah, it's a it's a great question because I thought about that quite a bit. Um, and what I really was able to distinguish and decipher was that a character is is a combination of things. I'm very interested. I'm kind of fascinated with the elemental uh, uh, elemental things that cause us to do what we do and so, getting down to an atomic level. That's what I'm really fascinated with. And what character is, you know, as I as I kind of researched it and kind of looked into it, as character is a collection of things. It's a collection of attributes. It's a collection of values. It's a collection of beliefs. It's a collection of there's a person. There's personality in there that's developed. Okay, all these things develop into a character. This is why we generally see characters uh, in human beings develop a little bit later. I mean, the character of an individual shows up a little bit later in life. You know, we can't look at a three year old and say, oh, look at that character. And it's, they're still <laughs> developing. We certainly can look at three-year-olds and start looking at attributes. We can tell if a three-year-old is patient or impatient. I mean, that's, you know, I have kids and I'll tell you that for certain, <laughs> right? So so I think I was interested in going down to elemental atomic levels and attributes was kind of the most atomic I could get to it. Mm. I like how you describe that because it also involves, I believe, a human being's purpose. And mm -hmm. like I always say that there is a distinction between I am versus I do. So oftentimes when people are, are born, they automatically think, okay, I'm going to be this because that's what I thought. I was, I thought that I was going to be a filmmaker. Like, so when everyone asked me, okay, what Jay, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd say, I want to be a filmmaker. That is my, that's it. Um, but then when that didn't happen, it's sort of like this, this shift when, went on. Uh, and I think what you described there is, is perfect for people to, to really understand that your character is, is a bunch of things, including mm -hmm. your purpose that goes towards you are worth something. And I like how you mentioned the three-year-old because when I was a three-year-old, I was very aware of things going on around me, very much aware. Yeah. People think, um, people used to say to my mum, like, is, is your child okay? We think he's got, has he been tested? He, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's all over the place, you know? Yeah. Um, some people actually thought that I had ADHD as, as well because like I was always buzzing and, yeah. but that was because I was very, very much aware of things that was going on around me, um, yep. which, which kind of leads me to my next question about a person's performance level. And you talk about optimal performance with these attributes, like you've described uh, a little bit about what the attributes are and, and how it involves with performance. But what I'm curious about is what is optimal leadership and how does that work with performance? Yeah. Um, well, first, it's a it's a 
it's a characterization of the terms. I talk about optimal as opposed to peak performance because peak, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm very into semantics because I think it matters, especially when you're trying to articulate things in a meaningful way. Uh, and, and there's so much talk about peak. There's so much desire for people to peak and we want to peak this and we want to peak performance that we want to peak all the time. And peak is just an apex. That's all it is. And it's an, a and, 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 and an apex is all you can go, go from an apex is down. <laughs> okay. It's the, it's the top, right? Um, peak has to be often planned for, scheduled, prepared for, and, and readied, right? The pro athlete or the Olympian plans and prepares so that they may peak for that moment. Okay. You can do that in business too. You're going to peak for that sales pitch or that presentation or whatever. Nothing wrong with that. Optimal is more realistic. Optimal is how can I do the very best I can in the moment, whatever the best looks like at that moment. Okay. This is when I started thinking about me or my buddies in SEAL training freezing in the surf zone. Okay. Nothing peak about our performance or in some cases of combat. Okay. Nothing peak about performance there. How about all of us in COVID when we all got slapped with a quarantine and we we're sitting at home the next morning wondering what the heck was going on. Most of us can say with pretty, uh, pretty much certainty that none of us were peaking at that moment. Okay. We were basically doing the best we could. So optimal performance allows for performance to look sometimes like peak, which is flow states and everything's going great. Or um, sometimes it looks like I'm just head down, just going moment by moment. I'm just gutting it out. And there's nothing wrong with that. It allows for us to understand that modulation is good. When I'm driving to the grocery store, I don't need to be a peak. I don't. Okay. I can, I can modulate a little bit. So in terms of leadership, you know, leadership, again, I think leadership is another word that we get confused sometimes with being in charge, okay? Mm. Being in charge and leadership aren't the same thing, all right? One's a noun and one's a verb. Leadership is a behavior, all right? And um, and it's not a position. And we don't get to call ourselves leaders, all right? That's like calling ourselves good-looking or funny, all right? We don't get to decide that, okay? Other people decide whether or not they deem us leaders, okay? That's that's their decision. I was in charge. I was an officer in the military. So technically, I was always in charge of something, Okay. Whether or not I was a leader, though, was decided upon by those in my span of care. And there are some people who've come back to me and said, Rich, I just loved when you were in charge. I loved I loved, I loved, loved you as a leader. You were a leader to me. I felt great. And I know for them, I was a leader. There were other people who I know at the moment, I was just the guy in charge. All right. You know, better or worse. So, um, so leadership performance, people, I think, need to understand it's all about the way we behave towards other people so that they might make a decision to accept us or to call us leaders. And the attributes I talk about in the book, the five attributes are basically behaviors, you know, and they're, they're the behaviors that in, in the course of talking to thousands of people over, you know, organizations around the globe, we always ask them, hey, what do great leaders do? These five things always come up. Empathy, accountability, selflessness, authenticity, decisiveness. They always come up. They always make the list. It doesn't matter who we're talking to, okay? And those are behaviors and those are attributes. Um, and that's what's, that's kind of the important thing to understand about leadership, I think. So the best leaders have all these main five attributes as part of who they are. Well, yeah. And, and, and if, if anybody challenges me on that, which I'm willing to be challenged, I would say this. In this moment, right now, think about someone you consider a great leader in your life. Okay, it doesn't it could be pref, personal, professor, professional, whatever. Put put that person in your mind right now, and ask yourself why is that person a great leader? Okay, I guarantee you're going to think selfless, empathy, decisive, accountable, <laughs> you know, authentic. All right, 
those things just come up. We know intuitively as human beings what great leadership is because that's how we decide who great leaders are for us. Um, and it's those things. I have a uh, an artwork on, on my wall in my room. I should have it there, but I don't. It's to remind me, it's at the, the foot of my bed. It's to remind me of what a great leader is. And I love how you distinct uh, distinguish between a noun and a verb. And the, the, the artwork is of a boss versus what a leader actually is. And it's like a Greek artwork, right? So a boss sits on the throne with a whip and he's whipping the people, telling them what to do. A leader, and I think he's a perfect example of everything you just described, He's at the front and mm -hmm. no one, he's not saying, oh, I'm the leader, let's go. He's actually showing people and leading from the front, essentially, yeah, so yeah. people can, can follow along with him. And, and one of the best pieces of advice that I got was actually from one of my first ever guests on the show. Mm -hmm. He was a cop. And uh, I asked him who it, what makes a great leader and he said, everyone's a leader, Jay. The choice is, are you going to be a good one or are you going to be a bad one? And I think he he said it perfectly. And I think you've said it perfectly as well. If we can expand upon it and really look at, okay, well, this is exactly what uh, people make the choice to be is they, they're more empathetic. Uh, they, yeah, everything you just described. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. No, it's true. And I think um, it's, you know, it. we have to, understand that at the end of the day, um, it's other people. And, you know, listen, we, we, we can all think about environments, especially if we're in work environments that, um, with the person, the boss, we may not think of the boss as the leader yet. There might be someone who is not even in the hierarchical chain, right? That we go to every time we need help or every time there needs to be something that person's a leader, right? And it, it happened in the military too. I mean, there were, there were the, the, the leaders of the people, that other people lean on because of behavior. Um, now, the people who are in charge and also leaders are very powerful because they are the people who are empowering and they're inspiring. And what's interesting and ironic about that position, if you're doing it correctly, is that the sometimes even though the word leader implies in front, sometimes the best best place for the leader is in the back, right? Empowering and pushing. And I I used to tell my junior officers, I said, listen, if you want to, if you want to. If you want to be a great leader, you have to understand the irony of leadership, which is if you do your job correctly, you work yourself out of a job. OK, you create an environment where they don't need you anymore, you know, because you've empowered them, you've grown them, you've you've conceded your own obsolescence. Right. And and they don't need you. Very important in the military, obviously, because you could get killed at any point. Right. And be and, and literally be gone. But in any environment, those people who believe that others are empowering them and 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 making them better and helping them get better they will be thought of as leaders long after they leave a position, <laughs> which is interesting. 100%. I've got one of my favorite books uh, is uh, from Simon Sinek, actually. It's Leaders Eat Last. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the way that he described everything in that book about how after everything is, is all said and done, the leader, he, he watches, he carefully observes everything, and then – once everyone has partaken in in their their duty, so to speak, then he will partake. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it's a very interesting uh, line of thought as well about just the best kind of leaders. Like ultimately, the ones that I look up to are those people. They they're yeah. the first to arrive and the last to leave. 
Yeah. And it's like, okay, I've got to follow that. And yeah. I'm going to try and uh, exemplify that in my own life. And so when people actually are, are looking, people are looking up to me, like I know that, but I don't go out of my way and say, oh, I'm a leader. So I'm mindful of it, but I don't go and, and say, oh, Jay's a leader, <laughs> follow me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. an action. It so, is. It really is. I love that, man. Um, I want to talk to, to you about resilience and, and building resilience. You have uh, a list of questions that people should be asking themselves or asking people the right kinds of questions. Um, how do we know that they are the right questions that we should be asking first and foremost? That's a good question. And the, the, here's the thing. We have to understand the power of questions. Okay. The power of questions is, uh, is a neurological superpower that we have to understand about our, our human brain. Our human brain makes sense of the world through questions. Okay. Oftentimes it's unconscious. Okay. When we look at a coffee cup, our brain is saying, okay, what is that? It's bouncing off our hippocampus and saying, okay, that's a coffee cup. That's a, it's a, it's a process that happens in milliseconds. Okay. When we take control of that though, when we consciously lodge a, a question into our frontal lobe, um, our brain has no choice but to begin to come up with answers. It doesn't matter what the question is. And I do this experiment with groups all the time. I just ask a random question and say, hey, for 30 seconds, write down anything that comes to your mind. And they usually come up with a list of five or six things. And it's an example of the fact that you lodge any question and your brain's going to start to answer it. We often do this the incorrect way without thinking about it. And we say things like, why am I so bad at this? Why does this always happen to me? Why are these people out to get me? Okay, your brain, once you ask that question, is going to give you answers. <laughs> and a lot of those answers are gonna be disempowering and some are gonna be ridiculous, all right? Every high-performing team, every high-performing person that I've ever encountered, and it's something I've tried to make a habit since I was in high school, takes conscious control of the types of questions, the quality of questions they ask, and asks better questions, okay? How can I learn from this? You know, what can I do to grow? What did, what can I do better? What 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 do I already do great? Who's out there who can help me? Okay, you ask those questions and those those answers are going to start to populate as well. One of the biggest questions I get, much like yours from people is, hey, what are the what's the, what are some of the best questions to ask? Okay. Unfortunately, I can't answer that because it's a very subjective task because it's based on you. However, I don't want to leave people wanting, so I'll say this. When I am at, at a loss of what question to ask in a moment. I always ask one question, and that question is, what is the better question right now? Because if I ask that question, I begin to come up with better questions, <laughs> you know, because I'm lodging the question in my brain. So so we just have to understand, um, and when it comes to resilience, resilience is really about the ability to effectively, once, once hit with challenge and stress and trauma and strife, to effectively return to baseline and reflect Mm. on what happened in a way that you can grow from it you can you can recover from it that reflection comes in the form of questions and those questions have to be designed by ourselves in an empowering way versus a disempowering way and so yeah the 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 act of ans of asking better questions is a key uh, a key part of resiliency holistically has there been many moments for you where you've sort of not been in this this baseline and you've had to sort of come back to it Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, big moments and small moments. I just, I mean, just during COVID, I remember, you know, you know, we were quarantined. My wife and I were walking our dog around our neighborhood and we we're just feeling low. Um, it was just, just stuff going on and we just, we felt low and depressed and we kind of didn't know what was, didn't know what to do in the moment. And so we used the first lap to kind of, you know, whine and wallow <laughs> with each other. And it was the second lap. We said to ourselves, we said, Hey, we just, okay, let's stop right now. What's the better question to ask right now? 
And we both asked that question. And we, we, sure enough, we started coming up with better questions. And those better questions, we then asked those. And we came up with answers and solutions. And that was the key to us moving forward. Now, again, easier said than done sometimes. And if we're in a highly emotional state, this becomes even more difficult. So I definitely recognize and respect uh, there's times uh, that we have to emotionally um, uh, recover or at least exude or express um, uh, and let and let out so that we can get rid of those emotions a little bit before we can come back and ask some cogent questions that are more subjective, more logical and get us to where we want to go faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, even just a little bit of emotional recovery, if you just ask yourself some questions, here's a great question to ask yourself, even if you're emotional, what, what am I, what can I be grateful for right now? All right. Gratitude is, a, is, a, is one of the fastest ways out of depression and sadness, right? Because if we start focusing, we, we go where we focus. It's, it's a, it's a, again, a neurological truth. And, um, and I remember as a SEAL, I got to go to a bunch of racing schools, you know, drive a car, racing, drive, uh, driving cars and stuff and motorcycles, which I loved. I mean, if I, in another life, I would have loved to be a race car driver, but, um, one of the first things they teach you when you're driving or on around a track and stuff is that, or, you know, anywhere is that when you start losing control of the vehicle and it starts veering off to the side or whatever, always look where you want to go. Do mm-hmm. not look at the wall. Do not look at the side. Do not look at the telephone pole. Look where you want to go. And it's because as soon as you start looking in that direction, even if the car is pointing like the opposite direction, you're straining your neck to look, right? Because your body will start steering automatically to where you're looking. Where we where we look, where we focus is where we direct our attention, where we direct our energy. And we can do that very effectively by what questions we decide to ask ourselves. Mm. So when facing challenges in our life, I'm always curious because I haven't really heard you talk much about persistence. And I have this, I have this saying, and I, I would love your thoughts on it. Be persistent to remain consistent are the things that you want in your life. And mm-hmm. the reason why I say that is because consistency or persistence more, more or less is the flow on effect. No, sorry. Consistency is the flow on effect of when I am persistent. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious about when we're building resilience in one's life, where does persistence kind of fit in? Yeah, um, I love that uh, saying. And, and, and one of the reasons why I love it is because I had to really dive into what persistence was when I was looking at the attribute of perseverance. Mm. Um, and because, again, I'm about semantics and I'm about going to the, ele- the kind of the elemental atomic levels of words and what they mean. And what I realized is perseverance was actually the word I was getting at. Um, and it's because perseverance is a combination of persistence tenacity and mental fortitude. Now, what's the difference? Persistence is I um, I have a solution to a problem or I think I have a solution problem. I'm gonna try it over and over and over again until it works, okay? This is the stone cutter approach, right? The stone cutter who's, who's tapping the, the stone a hundred times and nothing's happening and on that hundredth tap, the stone breaks, okay? That's persistence. Tenacity, uh, persistence, by the way, requires patience. Okay. Mm. Tenacity is, yeah, tenacity is different. Okay. Tenacity is I have a solution problem. I'm going to try that. If it doesn't work, I'm going to try something else. Okay. Mm. This is the car mechanic. Okay. I think I know what's wrong. I'm going to check the belts. Well, it's not the belts. I'm going to check the, the spark plugs and I'm going to check the, the, the engine component, whatever it is. If you have a mechanic who's persistent, that mechanic's going to check the belts and then check the belts again and then check the belts again and check they're doing nothing. You need a you need a mechanic who's tenacious because you need a mechanic to kind of do to do both, right? So ten, tenacity requires impatience. <laughs> so it's a balance, right? 
per- perseverance is a is a nice dynamic flow of of both of those. Okay, and I think I think when we're when we're persevering, we have to understand. Okay, what what in this conduct requires persistence? What requires tenacity? And then of course the third thing is mental fortitude, which is really the 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 mental strength to be able to do either one and stick with uh, the, the, the process. Okay. Um, and so I love your distinction. I would just say from an attribute perspective, perseverance kind of ties those things together. And that's what allows for resilience because resilience, yes, sometimes it's going to require, I just got to knock this thing Mm. as many times as it takes until the thing cracks. Mm. That's what it's going to take. Sometimes like, Hey, this, what I'm doing is not working. I need to do, I need to try something else. And, and it's up to us to kind of figure out that balance. I have another one that I think you might like, and I actually, this is the, the, my, my five main principles that I live by and I believe them and I've used them. I've actually written a second book around this. Um, and it is persistently practice prayer with patience and perseverance and you will be okay. I love it. (laughs) I mean, that covers everything. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, um, I break it down. So in, into stories from different people and why they're important in different areas. So one person, for example, is, is great at practicing stuff. And I would, Mm -hmm. uh, use the analogy of say a coach or a, a teacher, for example. And then for someone that is, uh, persevering, I use the, the example of someone who's, who's gone to prison and what that taught him about. Uh, really surviving prison and and the the harshness of it, of it um, and getting through. So pushing mm-hmm. pushing yourself forward. But my favorite one has got to be, and I, I realize this uh, in my own life and all the things that I've been through is persistence. Mm-hmm. So building this yeah. show, uh, writing my writing my first book, working you working out everything. Like if I'm not persistently waking up every single day and telling myself every single day, these are my goals that I need to work on and tick off and, and ask myself the right questions, then I won't improve. I just won't, I'll just remain stagnant. And I don't believe that is a, a, I don't believe that's part of life is we're meant to meant to improve. We're meant to grow and become better each and every day. And that's one of the reasons why I love these attributes, man. Like they are, they're helping people to grow. They're making people realize, okay, you can grow and here's how we're going to test you. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a saying, right? If you're not growing, we're dying. I mean, that's the saying, I mean, even, even Mount Everest right now, even Mount Everest, it grows a couple inches every year, every, every year it's like three inches taller, right? Because it's growing. I mean, that's evolution. And, and so I think it's true. I think, I think nature is, you know, uh, growth is forward movement. That's what it is. And, uh, and I love, I love your philosophy and I love what you're saying because what you're saying is, Hey, I, I put into practice these things so I continually move forward. Um, and whatever that means for us, that's, that's really, I like, I like being able to help people figure that out for themselves. Cause I don't think I'm someone who can tell another person what they should do because I might be a Jeep and they might be a Ferrari. <laughs> right. So, exactly. so, but at least I can say, Hey, here's some elemental things and d- definitions that will work for all of us. And then you just have to put your own spin and put your own labels on them so that you can, you can make them work for your, for yourself. Right. Mm. It it's, goes back to choice. Like you have the option to use this in your life or not. Like we're not going to yeah. force you at all. 
And I love right. that you don't, you don't force people. You, you graciously say, here's, you explain it perfectly. Here's how it all works. If it fits in your life, great. If it doesn't, so be it. But we ultimately, we hope for everyone to improve and move forward and become the very best version of themselves. And I love Absolutely. your stories, man. Love your Thank stories. You. <laughs> um, final couple of questions, if you don't mind. Uh, sure. Is there anything missing in your life right now? Wow. Anything missing in my life? Um, uh, no. So the answer is no. And the way I define my, I've had, I had to kind of get clear on this is that, is that if I were to define my process, it is this, it is that I am always gratitude. I am always grateful, but never satisfied. All right. And mm -hmm. what that, that, what that means for me is that I, fully recognize and adopt and I'm so grateful for everything I have, but my dissatisfaction in a positive way keeps me searching, keeps me, keeps me growing, you know, because I want to explore the next edge. I want to figure out what the next horizon looks like. So, um, so what, the only thing that's missing is my next edge. I mean, I'm just, I'm right now, my next edge is this is being an author. I mean, this is my first book. So I'm, I'm working on that edge right now. Um, and then as I, as I move out to that horizon, as happens when you're reaching any horizon, the next next horizon appears. And what that horizon looks like, I don't know. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's how I'd answer that. Congratulations on on achieving your first book and actually getting to the completion stage. Uh, where can people buy this book and get their own copy? If they're all over the world, can they get it? They can, yeah. And uh, so, uh, so where, wherever you are, you should be able to go. I mean, Amazon has it, um, but you can go to the website, theattributes.com, and there you can. I, there's a page where you can buy the book, and it says where you are in the in the world, and you can you can buy it from there too. Um, on the website, though, I also have assessment tools, and I, I put those on there for free. Um, so if someone can go and for free take an assessment on where they fall on the grid attributes, the drive attributes, and the mental acuity attributes, and just see where they where they stand. And, and of course, that score is going to come back, and that score is going to be a comparison to about a thousand or more people that we've gotten data from globally. And we're going to we're continuing to refine those results so it gets even more uh, populated. Um, but we just have to recognize everybody who takes that has to recognize recognize that that's a comparison. Okay, so if you come in at like level three on adaptability that's just as compared to a thousand people you're landing at a level three on adaptability it, it's going to take you to kind of do some introspection say does that is that meaningful for me does that does that make sense to me when i look back at experiences where the environment changed around me without my control am i is it tough for me to adapt and then you might say yes you might say well no that that doesn't i'm usually pretty adaptable so it's really a snapshot but it's still it's a tool that someone can kind of maybe get started with and then i also have some workbooks on there that people can can pick up um, I've gone and tried to explain, uh, some tips and tricks on how to develop each attribute. So if you're interested in developing an attribute, you can pick up a workbook and get some tips and tricks on how to develop that specific attribute. So if everyone enjoyed this conversation, I highly encourage you to go and, and get a copy of the book first and foremost, also do the test and, and go and get the workbook as well. I need to do this because <laughs> I, I love it. I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. Um, I guess my final question for you, uh, Rich, this is my all time favorite question. It's a hypothetical one. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? 
Um, I'll kind of, I'll, I'll go to a basic tenant that I've believed and I try to talk about as much as possible. And that is, um, always be resolute in your outcome, but be flexible in the approach. Um, you can choose, you can decide, you can make any, you can decide on any goal that you want to, to, to decide on. Um, what you have to be accepting of is the fact that the pathway you think might be the pathway there is likely going to change. And a lot of people get derailed because the pathway changes and they don't expect it to. And, and so rock climbers have a lot to teach us on this. I don't climb rocks because I hate heights, but if you, you know, the, the rock climber stands at the, at the base of a, of a cliff, right. And looks up top and says, Hey, that, the top is my outcome. That's where I'm going. And then they begin to climb that rock and they find the, the handholds and the footholds. Um, and that, that pathway looks kind of jagged and zigzaggy because you don't that, that the climber's looking for the best pathway well sometimes the best handhold or foothold is like down and to the right okay which means that rock climber has to move down and away from the outcome so that he or she may continue up that happens in goals too sometimes in the pathway in the in the in the progression towards a goal it's going to feel like you're moving down and away all right. But just know that it's probably because you're trying to, you need to find a better knothole, right? You're finding a better way. Be resolute in the outcome, be flexible in the, in the approach. Perfect send off message, rich man. Love your work. Love your message. Love your stories. Wish I had more time to spend with you. Cause I'm, I'm pretty sure you have so many more stories to actually share and unbox, but thank you so much for your time today and for coming on the Storybox podcast. Thank you, Jay. It was a pleasure to be here, but thank you so much for having me. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.